0: Welcome to the Contracting Officer Podcast. It's not just for contracting officers. If you work anywhere in the government acquisition world, this podcast is for you. Our topic today is a twist on fair and reasonable pricing. Not when pricing is too high to be fair and reasonable, but what happens when the price is too low to be fair and reasonable? This episode is brought to you by Skyway Acquisition. If your organization is interested in training from a team of former contracting officers, go to AskSkyway.com and learn more about how Skyway can help both government and industry teams with the acquisition and contract execution process. Let's get started with the price floor.
1: I was looking for a nice watch in a, in a jewelry store, and salesperson shows me you know the, the top-end watch, and because I was just browsing, and it's a $10,000 watch, and I'm like... <laughs> what i'm just walking there like this this, that's a thing like people pay ten thousand dollars for a watch then actually i asked i'm like this isn't in the top end and she she shows me a thirty thousand dollar watch and and what it says about me is i couldn't really tell the difference (laughs) but because you start putting your diamonds and stuff on it and it it gets you you can get the six figure watches i guess the the price was shocking to me because to me it was just a watch it's like i'm not i'm not gonna pay that much more for a watch because there's a price ceiling right and so it's kind of easy to spot, but it's
0: a personal it, thing, right? It, yeah,
1: yeah. You know what the ceiling is. For price you. ceiling
0: for me might be different for you, and it's certainly different for. I'm trying to think of, of some of Michael Jordan. Is that somebody that everybody knows that has a lot of money? <laughs> Warren Buffett. No, he's frugal. He might not buy a, yeah. a hundred thousand dollar watch. But everyone has a different ceiling. Yeah, we, we know what the price ceiling
1: is, but there's also a price floor, you know, and, and that's the price where something costs so little that were like, eh, I don't know if it's going to be, you know, quality. Like, remember the Yugos that were, like, $4,000 for Yeah, little
0: drink? Yugoslavian cars, right? Yeah, and they were,
1: this is back in the, you know, once again, dating myself, but I, I knew somebody that bought one, and I'm like, this thing is barely, fu- it worked, but, I mean, it is barely functional, you know? It's like, this is before airbags and before, right. like, and
0: sensors cameras. And it may not have worked for very long. <laughs> that, that's true. I don't know how long it
1: lasted. But, it, <laughs> but that's the price floor. It's like how, when you get down to the bottom of what something is worth. The goal is to be in between those two extremes.
0: The range between the price floor and the ceiling is – it's a very complex relationship. We're not really going to talk about it from an economic sense but but more a a realistic personal sense. When I think about price floor, I always think about my, my younger days when I sold guitars. And I think about it all the time when I'm buying things for myself now. There's a price you pay for any product. Below which you really can't buy something that is is functional, if we go back to guitars, say you see a deal for seventy nine dollars for a fancy looking electric guitar. you can buy something called a guitar for seventy nine dollars, but it may be very difficult to play, may not sound good, may not stay in tune the The parts just might not be of a high enough quality to make it functional it It might be made with really, really poor wood that hasn't been dried out so it gets all warped and then you can't play it. But it still is actually a guitar that you can buy. For a little bit more money, for a couple hundred dollars, you can buy a guitar that is at the, what I would consider the floor for a a guitar, right? (laughs) The parts are quality enough that it'll it'll stay in tune reasonably well. It sounds okay. And it'll actually last for a while. It's not going to fall apart in your hands. So we've gone from below the floor, you know, a price where you really can't manufacture a product that's functional to what is the lowest price that you get a functional instrument for, then you get all the rest, right? And this is where that personal preference comes in. And this is where I promise we're going to swing this into government contracts and away from guitars sooner or later. There are features that you can add to a guitar that make it more functional. You can build a guitar with different kinds of wood or better wood or fancier wood that make it sound better. At some point, you reach a level where you're paying a lot for a guitar that is significantly better than, than that bottom-level functional one that costs a couple hundred dollars. So now you might be into a couple thousand dollars. But just like that watch you're talking about, you can pay $10,000 or $30,000 or $100,000 for a guitar, and that's where that personal price ceiling comes in. If you want the most functional instrument that you can buy, you, there's a range between a couple hundred and a couple thousand dollars. You can pay a lot more for things that don't necessarily add functionality but add add prestige or again you could put diamonds all over the guitar so this is why this is why the floor is complex it's complex when you add all those individual touches into it the concept of a price floor in the government context is exactly what you were talking about Kevin how does the government figure out where is the lowest reasonable price for something that's going to meet their requirements and where is it too good to be true?
1: Yeah, because the, the concern is it's a contracting officer. I don't want to overpay, but I don't want to end up with a $79 guitar that doesn't stay in tune for more than 15 minutes. Somewhere in between there is the right solution for my customer, and price floor is something to consider
0: in this. Before we get into price floor in government tees instead of guitar talk, let's stop and say thanks.
1: Guitar talk. It's a new podcast. We'll start.
0: <laughs> There's probably 10 guitar talk podcasts already.
1: Exactly. I say thanks this week to Dale Hollis. He's in business development at Geneva software. He's in Virginia. Dale gave us great feedback on our podcast um, on LinkedIn. Plus he likes and shares our content and the best way for people to find this information that we're giving away for free is for people to like and share it. So thanks for doing that Dale.
0: Thanks Dale. What is a price for? Let's try to define it for the purposes of this podcast. A price floor is the lowest price that a good or service could be sold at and still be effective. So back to the guitar thing, it's that $300 range, not the $79. For $79, you buy something that is called a guitar and looks like a guitar, and you can tell your friends, look, I have a guitar. But if you actually (laughs) want to make music, you might have to pay a little more than that to get something that's functional. And that's exactly the same as we're talking about with government goods and services.
1: In economics lingo, the price floor, to be effective, it must be set above the equilibrium price. There's a big fancy term. And the equilibrium price, that's the price where the supply of goods matches the demand of goods. So that's, you know, that's why right. it's in so, economics.
0: So all things being equal, which, which they never are in economics, but in, in a perfect <laughs> world, the price is set at the intersection of supply and demand. Right,
1: and the price floor is one notch above that equilibrium price.
0: If you take this within the context of government contracting, you could rephrase what I said before as the price floor is a price below which a, a capable, competent, responsible, and effective offerer is not willing to pursue a contract. And why wouldn't they pursue a contract below the price floor? Because they wouldn't be able to perform. they lose money. There's, there's no strategic value to it. Sometimes a company may be willing to lose money if you'd heard the term loss leader something that brings you into the store and you buy that and they actually lose money on that, but you buy lots of other stuff at the same time, so they make money in the end. But if a company bids below the price floor and can't perform and doesn't deliver, not only is that a financial burden for the company and could drive a small business out of business really quickly, but then that sets you up for a poor past performance evaluation, which is, as we have talked about before, one of those gifts that keeps on giving. It's, it stays on your record for a long, long time.
1: This goes back to targeting again, where, where companies have to focus on things that if, if they have to go below the price floor to be able to win the contract, it's a bad deal and they may walk away from it. So targeting, not all revenue is created equal. Right. Targeting, tar- targeting helps you understand, is this opportunity the right fit for us? Because if you got to go be- below the, if it's a knife fight and you have to go below the price floor just to win the work, which we'll talk about how that creates problems later, it, it's not always – It's actually, it's almost never a good idea. If you're the government, another way to look at the price floor is it's the point at which someone will bid on the opportunity. Someone will bid on your RF – someone will respond to your RFP. But it might not be anybody you want. And, and I, again, that's a lesson I learned as a CEO is that sometimes, are we going to get competition? Yes, we'll get somebody to compete for this. But do they think they're bidding on a $79 guitar? Or do they think they're bidding on a $5,000 handcrafted one because that's what our requirement is? What does the requirement ask
0: for? Right. Think about hiring somebody for your business. If you say I'm going to pay minimum wage for this job, you may have a line out the door of qualified candidates who are are willing to do that job for minimum wage. If you say I'm going to pay minimum wage for a top-secret cleared engineer or software developer, someone may – Accept that job, but it's probably not somebody you want.
1: I don't know if anybody would take that one, but yeah, that's a good point. I had a friend of mine who who moved to a worked for a large organization and got an opportunity to move to a different division, and they were negotiating, planning to negotiate for the for the salary change because it was a, a bit of a, a promotion, right? And they set a salary floor for themselves, a personal salary floor. This is okay. I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to take on this additional responsibility and the, and the, the additional challenges to come with this role unless it has at least this much of a bump. And coincidentally, when they walked in, the offer they got was significantly above that. And so it's, it's what got me thinking about this concept. In that scenario, she had set a price floor. I didn't think of it in terms of that, but that's what she's doing, right? She set her price floor, which she's not willing to do it. Well, targeting is the same way on the government side. When you target an opportunity and say, I can't afford or I'm not willing to do this work if it doesn't generate this kind of revenue with this kind of benefit, I'm not bidding, and that's something I just didn't see as a CEO.
0: In the government acquisition world, we find the price floor through market research. So the government looks at what did it cost last time to do, if it's a follow-on contract, or what have others paid for the same or similar goods or services. They might also compare to what it would cost to do it organically with government employees since we know how much government employees with a certain skill level are paid. It's also common to reach out through the internet and do salary surveys. There's a lot of information out there about the average cost for goods and services that, that approximate what you're buying, government.
1: And, and another way is with a request for information, um, something I wish I had done more of. Here's the catch with that. It isn't just a matter of putting one out there and say, hey, what would, what would it cost for you to do this? And that's competitive information. that you know, They don't have the whole context. What I learned is ask for a band. Ask for – give me a range, plus or minus 20% of what it would cost to do this.
0: Yeah, I see a, I see a whole lot of RFIs that focus on the technical ability to do the job, but don't even bring price into the equation. And I understand you know, maybe there's not enough detail that companies wouldn't feel comfortable giving giving a number, a, a single number, but the idea of giving a range – we're thinking about something that's sort of like this. Tell us how you would do it, and tell us within this broad range about how much it would cost.
1: and yeah, if you get three RFIs that have the same range, that's a good thing.
0: Then you know you're all talking the same language.
1: Because the other extreme, and I'm raising my hand on this one, is you do a little bit of market research, but you and you have an idea of what you think is going to happen. And then when the proposals come in, you realize, oh my, this is 25% more all of them, not just one, all of them are more expensive than we thought. And now we have to you know, adjust the requirement and it just it, it yeah. becomes an event. Now, it's extra work. And, so, and, and not to mention the fact the customer is going to get less of what they thought just because the market has said, we can't do it for that price. So in other words, the, the government estimate was way off. Yeah,
0: better to find <laughs> that out before you request proposals than after you receive the proposals.
1: Exactly. And to find that out ahead of time takes communication.
0: This would be a good time to talk about the FAR and it's a government
1: contracting podcast, right?
0: Insert our usual far time conversation. Price floor is not something that that's in the FAR. When we talk about the floor, it's in the context of a, of a fair and reasonable price because below the price floor, the price is unreasonable. And, and above that price ceiling, the the price is unreasonable too. If you release a solicitation for watches with a certain amount of function, you're probably not going to pay $30,000 for that watch. Correct. The twist here is fair and reasonable price is not actually defined in the FAR.
1: Yeah, no wonder it's such a puzzling concept
0: <laughs> to try and explain. It's like you always say, this is why being a contracting officer is, is a thinking job. These things are not defined. It, it comes down to judgment. Throughout the FAR, contracting officers find they're required to purchase supplies and services at a fair and reasonable price. For example, 15.402A says exactly those words. Contracting officers shall purchase supplies and services from responsible sources at a fair and reasonable price.
1: And FAR 19.202, which is small business, talks about achieving fair market price. So this is, you know, bottom line, the FAR requires reasonableness, and that's a judgment call. And, but the price floor is kind of like the bumper on reasonableness. That's the bottom of reasonableness. And then price ceiling is the other bumper, if we know where those bumpers are, it's a whole lot easier to define reasonableness. The problem is if we don't accept or even understand that there is a price floor at which people will not do things, then we think, oh, cheaper's better.
0: That's funny because when you hear fair and reasonable price, I think almost everyone jumps to the idea of it can't be too expensive. right? What's the, what's the highest price that is fair and reasonable? Not many people think about what's the lowest price that's fair and reasonable. Since we were unable to do a proper far time, we can do a proper <laughs> time zone conversation. Where does this work in the time zones? This is all over the acquisition time zones. So after the requirement zone, after the government has decided what their requirements are, when they enter the market research zone, this is where you need to find those bumpers and find out what the price floor and ceiling should be. It's also important during the RFP zone and the source selection zone when we're submitting proposals. Proposals trying to figure out what is a fair and reasonable price to propose and evaluate proposals in the source selection zone and determine fair and reasonable pricing.
1: And then during the execution zone is where you see if this worked. If, <laughs> if, you went below the price, if you went below the price floor, you're going to be dealing with them in the honeymoon zone because you have to renegotiate, in the performance zone because you're not going to have great performance, and then hopefully in the recompete zone where you realize, wow, we screwed that up, let's not do that again. And again <laughs> raising my hand. Because that's, that's why I know this is what happens.
0: The impact of misjudging or, or not knowing that price floor becomes pretty obvious quickly on service contracts. Contractors propose that they're going to provide all these services at a certain rate and, surprise, if it's too low, they're not able to fill the positions and provide the government the services that they've contracted for. On development contracts or product contracts, it might not be as obvious if we're below the price floor because you still might have some performance. You still might be spending money, but it's not until later that you discover that we're way behind schedule or that the quality is far below what we expected or we're not going to achieve our development goals.
1: We should put on the on the calendar at some point to do an episode that explains how price floor, the not paying attention to the price floor, can cause cost overruns. You know, two years later on a development contract, but that's another rabbit hole. Another rabbit hole. Stay away. And on service contracts, it, 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 it like you said, it's really acute. It's obvious because if we don't admit there's a price floor, and there's always one somewhere, right. uh, we create this performance risk, right? So, if you love the organization you work for, and you love working, supporting your customer, and they say, hey, we got some things going on, we need to take a, we need you to take a five percent pay cut. Would you do that? Maybe. Well, what if it's thirty percent? Uh eh, you may love them, but I don't that's a lot you know and, and and what if on the other side someone offers you and then a competitor or some uh, some completely different industry offers you twenty five percent more to go do something else? Is that enough to get you to jump so there are these bumpers that yeah, five percent's not going to move you, but thirty or fifty percent will
0: This happens a lot in the service industry when a contract is recompeted and the incumbent does not win the recompete new company comes in. And they want to hire a lot of the incumbents' employees. They want to hire the people that are currently doing the job. So they tell the people, we would like to offer you a job doing exactly what you were doing yesterday for a 10% pay cut. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a hard sell. Right. So if if they bid at the price floor that is is defined by the market, they may be able to keep those people for a 10% pay cut. Maybe they're being paid at 10% over what the market has set the pr- price at for for those services.
1: And, and the reason this is complicated is maybe they get more vacation, maybe the benefits are better, maybe the health insurance is less. I mean, there's a lot more variables to it. We're not saying it's just a price, yeah. but understanding there's a price floor somewhere makes these conversations a lot easier to manage.
0: And if that new company has bid below the price floor, they offer all these people, you can keep your job for a 10% pay cut. Those people go somewhere else, like you're saying, that's that's too low. Then that's where we run into performance or staffing issues because the new company has trouble hiring at the rates that they've proposed.
1: And I've seen this play out as a contracting officer on contracts that I managed. And, and the reason that this came up. <laughs> I've also seen it play out on proposals we've helped companies go after where the winner beat us by like 25% less. And I'm thinking, how do you, it's just a price, right? And again, I walked into this trap as a CEO before because, because you, you think, Oh, cheaper is better. Or you think they're more efficient. What if they're below the price for
0: The government's always worried about that. It's often called buying in. You know, you bid at an unrealistically low price below that price floor and then immediately come back and say, I need to raise the rates, but you won based on your low price that you promised to deliver. What we're talking about is how difficult it can be to recognize that price floor sometimes.
1: Help people understand where is that price floor. So when you get those four bids and one of them is 25% lower than everybody else, it's like, "Mm, that's why (laughs) they're so much cheaper. Because it, it, this is a, this becomes even it's magnified when you have some of these specialized skills, like you said, like software developers with, with TS clearances. That's a specialized skill, and they're even, they're hard to find already. Right. But you stack onto that the fact that oh yeah well we're we're gonna we're gonna give them you know one week of vacation and and pay them twenty percent less. I didn't say it as a CEO.
0: We did an episode about the impact of external economic forces on government acquisition, and this is exactly what you're talking about. During the last recession in in 2008-2009, the the price floor was very low. The workforce was headed towards the government market, towards the job stability and salaries that the government market was offering. In 2018, the price floor is much higher because the economy is doing well at the moment. So private industry is paying a lot more than the government is paying for a lot of different kinds of jobs. That will swing back again as the economy changes. Let's get specific about what the government can or, or should do to help recognize the price floor.
1: Yeah, be aware of the, the price floor because the, the risk of, of not seeing it, and, and speaking from experience, is in the best case scenario when you miss the price floor and you don't see it coming, is you, you have a contractor who's constantly having to hire new people. Uh, they have a lot of turnover because they can't keep people you know, it's, it's because they're paying just enough that they get people who are like eh, or the benefits are just enough. They're like eh, they're not really impressed by it. And so when something else comes along, which when the economy is doing well, they they chug off. The other side of it, you have a contractor in the worst case scenario, who can't even find people. Back right. to your top secret software developers.
0: If you bid a pay rate below what the market is offering, you're just not going to be able to hire those people.
1: Let me flip the let me flip the coin over for a second. On the government side, make sure you're not an agency that consistently awards to people below the price floor. There's a, I'm not going to name them, but there's an agency that our customers don't target anymore because they consistently do this, and then they complain when you can't hire anybody. They're like, what do you mean you can't staff this position? It's like, well, you use the structure that I, I can't you, – you've lowered the, your expectation of what these people get paid that I can't fill it, and you're mad. So people stop bidding at this agency.
0: Yeah, I've lost a couple competitions on price where couldn't believe how low – the the rates were for the winners and as a result not so interested in bidding with that agency anymore.
1: Yeah, because that goes back to targeting. I mean the, the companies cannot go after everything and they gotta go after the things that they can win, number one, and they can win and you know not go out of business.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. So what should the government do to make sure they understand the price floor?
1: An easy place to start is request for information. Is be as specific as you can about we don't know or we don't clearly know what we think this is going to cost, and see what you get. Uh, you can also do salary surveys. A, a quick one is look on LinkedIn. This is something that wasn't really available when I was a CEO. It, <laughs> right. It, you can see again if it's a super specialized position. The only government hires a different conversation. But you can see what their average range is based on salary surveys on LinkedIn for yep. free. You can just look in there and see what this actually what this will pay. We had one that was an 8A set-aside, and it was, just, it was a direct award. It was, it was under the threshold, and we had a heck of a time figuring out what's the right rate because we weren't exposing it to competition. And it would have been great to have LinkedIn <laughs> to say, hey, this, this is the range. This person makes between like 22 and $27 an hour. Like, okay, so not, just like that, poof. So
0: you know, how there. do you determine a fair and reasonable price when you're awarding to an 8A set-aside small business on a sole source basis because the FAR allows you to do that? You have to have these external inputs. Because price competition is not going to get you to a fair and reasonable price. Competition, by the way, is the easiest way to find the price floor. If you get six proposals and one of them is 30% lower than the other five, that one's likely below the price floor. They may not understand the requirements. They may be trying to win by buying in. But that's a point where you say, this is an outlier that I can remove from the competitive range, and I'll only evaluate the ones that are in family.
1: Or at least ask them, right. say, your price is exceptionally low. Use that phrase. It's exceptionally low compared to other offers. Why is that? And they may have an answer. They may right. have come up with some innovative solution, but maybe not. You've got to know. right? That's Again, I didn't, I didn't think to ask that question.
0: On the industry side, don't expect the government to know the price floor. It is impacted by the economy, and the government sometimes isn't looking at economic forces the way that private industry does.
1: had another competition where we worded a contract, a service contract, and it was a great fit, great solution, et cetera. But we knew during the evaluation process when the proposals came in, we realized that we underestimated what the actual cost for all these services were. So we go, and you heard me mention the honeymoon zone earlier. Well, there was a contract that the first two days of the honeymoon zone was negotiating out of the stuff that we couldn't afford because we underestimated what it cost. Now, it, it wasn't because they overbid. Everybody, everybody who bid on this contract was more than the government estimate. So we knew we were going to have to do this anyway. But it's because we didn't know where the price floor was. The government estimate was below the price floor. We're yeah. like, whoops, guess what, user? You're not going to get quite as much as you wanted. It was like 10%. But it was enough that it created, you know, some – had to shuffle the deck chairs to get all the Budget work- pain. Yes. And this, you know, I go back to your your example of Hanlon's razor: is don't attribute to malice what can be easily explained by lack of, in our case, context. Is I didn't have enough context running that competition, so an industry came in and said, "Know what you want us to do costs ten percent more than you think." That'd have been great to know during the RFP zone instead of during the source selection zone.
0: Right. So don't don't assume that the government knows the price floor. You get you got to communicate these things early to avoid issues like you talked about. Worst case, if the price was 25% over your budget, you may have had to cancel the solicitation, and then everyone's time is wasted. So definitely want to find that out before you request proposals. All right, Kevin, we're going a little long, so let's wrap this up.
1: Why why do the pricing ones always go along? It's
0: funny. (laughs) It's complex.
1: There's a story in there. Uh, on On the government side, communicate your awareness or lack of awareness of what the price floor is and tell them your goal is to avoid going below the price floor. Because if industry knows that you're trying to get a fair and reasonable price through this competition, you're going to get some good feedback. And on the industry side, understand that unless they're contracting officers and acquisition folks, they're not economists. You know, a lot of this stuff, there's a few people that figure out, but a lot of times we don't know what that price floor is. The government team may not realize there is a price floor, or like we did with that service contract, we misjudge where it was.
0: I'll circle all the way back to the guitars I was talking about at the beginning of this episode. Both government and industry need to understand price floor relative to to the requirements. Is the government trying to buy a thing that, that is called a guitar and looks like a guitar but doesn't really work well? Are they trying to buy the lowest level of functionality and durability? Or are they trying to buy the best sounding, best playing guitar ever? There's a different price floor for those different requirements. And I think a lot of the times what you were talking about before, when you get one offer that has bid a price that's way out of range with the others, it's because they don't have the context of the, the floor in relation to those requirements. They're, they're misunderstanding the requirements. So they may not be bidding below the price floor for what they think is required. Does that make that's sense? That,
1: all goes back to communicating back, back to the requirement zone. <laughs> it starts in the requirement zone. Make sure you have a clearly defined requirement, which is not easy. I get that.
0: And make sure it's communicated. We always circle back to communication too. Okay, price episodes always go long and we always talk about context and communication. (laughs) With that, I'll talk to you later. See you, Paul. Okay, that's it for this episode. If you need help navigating complex topics like the price floor, Skyway Acquisition can help. Visit askskyway.com to learn how because Skyway provides insight from a team of former contracting officers. We'll see you next week. Thanks for joining us.
1: And in, in in economics lingo. Hey, start over. You
0: went, in economics lingo.
1: <laughs> yep, yeah, yeah, That's all, folks. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. In, in did it again.